Hey, this is Carrie Peters. And Stacey Morgenstern. And welcome to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast. Where we're here to question how we do life because the normal rules no longer apply. Hey everybody, it's Carrie Peters, and I'm excited to talk about this topic today because this was one that uh, I struggled with for a long time in my life, and I actually, um, we just had a retreat in San Diego, and I was talking with one of our wonderful students, and she was so beautiful, and so smart, and so together, and she said to me, um, you're, you're an inspiration to me because you met your husband later in life and had a child and she was 37 or 38 and feeling, you know, she was single, not, not, and not a prospect in the distance. And she was feeling like what I took away from it is this sense of, and I think I'm projecting onto you my own experience, but there's a sense of for women in their thirties, there's such a looming, like deadline, (laughs) looming decision. And there's fear around like, am I going to have kids? Is it going to happen for me? Will I be married? Will I not be married? Will I find someone? Will I not find someone? Do I have a kid on my own? Do I not have a kid? What if I can't get pregnant? What if I do get pregnant? It's like thirties are like a hotbed of anxiety around the issue of kids and marriage. Unless, I mean, some people are already married and very happy and it's not an issue for them. But if you're not and you're in your 30s and you're, or maybe you're in a relationship where you're not totally sure you want to stay or you're not completely happy with and you're in your 30s going, oh my gosh, it's a countdown. Um, I was talking to, I have a new sister-in-law who's lovely and she's 35 and just pregnant with her first and Um, She was mentioning advanced maternal age, which, you know, you go to any doctor and that's what they tell you. Like after age 35, basically your eggs start to die and cry. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. And I, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty gloom and doom when you go to a doctor and you're a woman who's 35 or older. Um, so I, I really, I feel for, for any of you who are in that position and certainly everybody's experience is different. There are some women that have challenges getting pregnant into in their 20s. There are some women that have challenges getting pregnant in their 30s. There are some women who look to their right and they're pregnant. It's just like, you know, there's no, it's, everyone has a different experience. And not everybody has my experience where I ended up uh, having a surprise pregnancy at, at age 40. Um, going, oh, wow, cool. My entire life is going to change. So what we're here to talk about, though, is love. And often I'm asked as someone who was single throughout, well, I dated people, and we can talk about that, um, throughout my 20s and my 30s, but I didn't get married until I was, gosh, I guess uh, about two weeks from turning 40. So I was 39. My 40th birthday was right after my honeymoon. My husband was a year older than me, or is a year older than me. He's, uh, at the time, I guess he was 41, and he hadn't been married either. So here are the two of us who are late 30s, late 40s, when most people feel like, oh, you know, I had sort of decided, I don't know that I'm going to do this. I don't know that I'm going to get married. Um, and, and I was extremely ambivalent and not sure about having children. So I, I just kind of, in my mid-30s, it had gotten to a point where I was like, hmm, I don't 
know. Maybe, and this is actually a tip that we'll talk about. I started thinking about, well, what would it be like if I didn't get married? What would it be like if I didn't have children? You know, um, there's, there's a lot of pressure on us societally to, to do that. Like you, you go to school, you get a job, you buy a house, you get married, you have children, you get a dog, you know, whatever it is. And that when we're not living into that, um, that sort of lifetime prescription from our, from our society, it can feel like a lot of pressure. Like, Oh my gosh, am I doing it? Am I doing life wrong? Is something wrong with me or is something not happening correctly? And I know that it can feel at times when you are looking for love or when you are, um, in a relationship where maybe you're not so happy, there are times when love can feel hopeless and can feel scary. Like it's something that you won't have or that you'll miss out on or that it won't happen to you. (laughs) There's an element of like, you know, we learn so much from fairy tales when we're younger. Like, will it happen to me? Will the prince find me and pick up my shoe? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of that. So I just want to share with you that not only is love possible at any age, but you can be in a position where I was 38 years old and single, not dating. I mean, dating like on, I was on match.com and I, I was going on first dates and that was about it. And when I was on those first dates, I was sort of looking at my watch, like I was bored. (laughs) I was just sort of going out with people because I knew I wanted a relationship. I didn't know if I wanted to get married. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll go out on these dates and give it a shot and you know, we'll see what happens. And on on most of those dates, I really just couldn't wait to get home to binge watch my favorite TV shows. I was really, really (laughs) bored. Um, but then, so that was at 38 and then cut and I was living in Los Angeles, cut to two years later, I'm married. I live in Chicago. I'm pregnant and I move into a house. I mean, it was just a radical amount of change in a very small amount of time. So I want to share with you for all of you who are looking for that or looking for a change in your love life that things can happen fast, um, especially when you start to get really clear on what it is that you want. And I want to share with you four of my favorite books. I'm an avid reader. When I get into a, a subject that I'm fascinated by, I want to read everything I can about it. And there were four books that really, really changed the game for me. Um, when it came to being attracting and being in a great relationship, um, I, I can tell you that you know most of my good friends, and if any of them are watching, have known me for the majority of my life since I was eight years old in grade school, or I have very close friends from high school, from college. They've known me forever, and what they have seen. They've seen me date a long, 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 long line of terrible people. (laughs) I had awful relationships over and over again. And by awful, I mean like codependent and people dating people I didn't really even like. um, But just feeling like if they liked me, I sort of had to be with them, that I didn't really have a choice. Um, Dating people who were controlling or who were jerks or who um, just really weren't capable of giving much. 
But the truth was, when I look back over those relationships and at who I was at that time in my life, I really wasn't capable of receiving much. I didn't know, like, what what was it like to be loved? What What does it feel like to have someone? I remember, so one of the books that I read that really changed my life when it came to relationships was a book called Calling in the One by a wonderful, wonderful woman named Catherine Woodward Thomas, who is extraordinary. And I urge you to check out this book and check out her work. And she had a visualization in the book and it was a visualization to have you imagine what it would be like waking up in the morning and what it would be like to have the person that you want to be with and having them basically taking care of you in a given morning, like maybe bringing you breakfast or, you know, putting on music for you or just really being loving and nurturing toward you and and having this amazing experience, visualization and experience of what it would be like to feel so loved. And what really struck me when I tried to do that is that I could not imagine somebody loving me that way or me even a lot. Like I had no no understanding of what that would even feel like. And I was shocked and I thought, oh my gosh, no wonder I I can't be in a relationship with somebody who can really treat me well because I have no no idea what that would feel like. I have no idea um, what that might be like. So I started to get curious in my head and think, oh, well, what, what might it be like if I were really feeling loved and what might it be like if, if, if someone that I dated actually treated me well and was a really nice person and (laughs) someone that I respected and someone who cared about me and thought about me and, and sort of made me a priority. I just, I never, it just didn't even occur to me that that was possible. Um, so I, you know, throughout grade school, high school, college, in my early twenties and my early thirties, I dated a lot of jerky people, a lot of them. Now in there, I dated some, some nice people, um, for sure. But on the whole, they were people who were very much not loving people because I couldn't accept the love and I didn't know how. So once I read Calling in the One, I realized, oh, it, it was it was kind of one of the first times I realized it's not them out there. This problem that I'm having in relationships is me. If I can't imagine, and I can't even feel what it would be like to feel loved, how is it possible that I could experience that in my outside world? I, and it occurred to me like, oh my gosh, for all of the like 10, 12, 13, <laughs> many boyfriends I had over the years who were so awful. It was like parade of jerks. Um, that it was not their fault. It was me. It was me. So I started to go, oh my gosh, this is a revelation. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If this is me, maybe I can make a change. If this is me, if the common denominator between all of these awful people who I chose to be with or didn't know I couldn't be with, um, then I, I can change, I can change that and I can start to feel what might it like to be, be, to be loved. And so that started bringing me to my second book, which was uh, amazing. And I, I started reading it after, um, Pretty much, I, I hit relationship rock bottom in my mid-30s. It's, it's the relationship that you have where you're like, wow, this is so bad 
that I don't know that I'm ever going to date again. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be with somebody. (laughs) I don't trust like, um, you know, I think at heart, this was a nice person, but unfortunately we brought out the worst in each other. Um, we dated for quite some time and, uh, I, I actually, you know, looking back, I go, I didn't really like him and I don't think he really liked me, but we were working out all kinds of like baggage basically with each other. And once we I finally, once we finally, finally broke it off, I thought, I'm not, first of all, having another relationship unless I figure out my shit. (laughs) Like this has to be, there has to be a different way. There's something that I have to learn. There's no way um, that I'm going to be with this kind of person again. So I found a book that completely changed my life and it's called Keeping the Love You Find by Harville Hendricks. And in so many ways, I feel like that book is not just about relationships, but it is the answer to life. (laughs) So It's the answer to the question, why am I the way I am? Why are things around me the way they are? The whole concept of the imago to me that you'll learn about in the book is so mind-blowing because it shows us how we end up creating our reality, whether it's in relationships or it's in our workplace or it's with family or with friends. There's so much that's answered there. And because there's an answer, you can go, oh, and you can start to shift and change how it is you view and see yourself. I actually was so blown away by the book that I ended up seeing a therapist who was trained by Harville Hendricks and specialized in Imago and found out what is my Imago and was so like, couldn't believe in a matter of sentences that basically spelled out my entire life and every single challenge I've ever had in a relationship. So I totally recommend this book. I think it's outstanding. Um, it tells me why I dated the parade of jerks, like why I was with them, why I was attracted to them, why I stayed. There were definitely relationships where I even remember, um, in the rock bottom relationship, I remember pulling into the driveway where I lived with this guy in a house. And I remember thinking, how long am I going to put up with being completely miserable? <laughs> like, what am I doing here? Why don't I just leave? Um, And it was because of the stuff that I learned in Keeping the Love You Find with Harville Hendricks. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. I really recommend anything that he's written. And then the next place that I went um, in terms of uh, uh, learning how to to have a relationship um, was a book called uh, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. And before my husband is offended or anyone else is like, what? Settling? I don't want to settle. That's not what the book is about. It's a brilliant marketing title. But what that book is really about is something that I had not considered. And it was about the fact that someone that you date and the qualities that you're looking for in someone that you date are not necessarily the qualities that you're looking for in someone that you're married to and living with every single day. So... Who's the guy that you want to be with when the, the everyday of life is happening and the garbage has to be taken out and the baby's crying and the stroller's broken and the dishwasher is a problem and you're having a family you know, event? And you know, when, when the day-to-day of life, married life is occurring, what are the qualities that you want in a person? And the other thing that was really neat about the book 
was that the author, Lori Gottlieb, said, she said, and by the way, you don't get 20 qualities or 30 qualities or 50 qualities. You know, you go, we go and we make our lists of all the things that we want. She said, you get three. (laughs) What are the three things that you want in a person? What are three qualities that are are absolutely non-negotiable qualities for you in a partner? For life, not someone that you're dating, but a partner for life. And I remember sort of narrowing mine down of like three. I, I couldn't make it to three. I, I had five actually. But I remember looking at that list of five qualities and like another sort of smack in the face as I went, wait a minute, do I have these qualities? Here I am saying, I want these five qualities in another person, but I don't know that I'm actually exhibiting these qualities. I don't know that I'm. And then I started to think, wait a minute, am I the partner that I'd want to be? I don't know that I am. And I started looking at the ways in which I really wasn't a great partner. And and how could I shift that and change that and grow into someone who would be the kind of partner that I'd want to be with? Um, that was just game changing. So that was the third book. Um, let's talk about the fourth book. Well, once I learned um, about the Imago in Harville Hendrix's book, Keeping the Love You Find. And I learned about how to start to receive love and remove blocks to love from Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And then I learned about how to really articulate the qualities I was looking for in a partner from Lori Gottlieb in The, the Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough in that book. And to feel like, and to realize like, oh, I actually need to have those qualities too. Once I put all those things together, I started to feel hopeful about having a relationship again. I started to feel like maybe I could trust that I would make a good relationship decision. In other words, I would choose a good partner. Whereas prior to that, I was afraid I was just going to keep repeating patterns and keep dating more and more jerky people and more and more people who just weren't available for me. Um, but I started to realize, like, oh, am I really available for someone else? So once I started to to put that together, like, I think I'm, I'm starting to have hope now. Then I read a then I read a book that was really great called The Soulmate Secret by Arielle Ford. Lovely book. And the thing that I really really loved about this book is that she says something that's so smart and so true and so like a duh, but I never thought of it. And as I was as I was started to go on dates through through Match.com, I was pushed to do it by some friends. <laughs> I remember having the thought, like, I don't, I, this is I'm maybe there's just nobody. I just don't know that there's going to be anybody out there who's really really going to want to be with me because I'm so weird. <laughs> and I read Arielle Ford's book, and she said one of her her concepts was that the the your partner is actually looking for you. So while you're sitting there going, I'm looking for my partner, I'm looking on match, I'm looking here, I'm looking there, I'm looking there, that person who you're meant to be with is actually actively seeking you. And so you can, it, it, you can relax in the knowledge that, first of all, that person exists which is like, oh yeah, of course. It's not like that person isn't born yet. If I'm going to be <laughs> like being with someone, whether I'm married to them or not, they're not going to be an infant. 
You know what I mean? That person is around in the world somewhere. So where is this person? What's this person doing? So the first thing she said is this person seeking you. And the second thing she said is, is that this person is preparing everything that person is doing is preparing to intersect with you. And everything that you're doing is preparing to intersect with that person. You are both seeking each other. It is impossible that you will not intersect. And that was such an incredible relief to me um, to think like, oh, I don't have to worry whether or not there is a person. There is a person. He's looking for me. He's preparing for me. And I can, I can just do my work and prepare myself for this arrival of this partner. And, and he's going to arrive. And I remember the spring of 2013, I, I read this book from Ariel Ford, and I remember asking in my journal, like, tell me a little bit about where this person is and what's happening with this person. And I just got some information in this meditation about, about this person and why I hadn't met him yet and what he was going through. And I was like, okay, okay, sounds good. So after I had gone through this whole like course of self-study on finding love, I started to, I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend the summer in Chicago. I just had this urge to do it. Gut feeling, I'm going to go spend the summer in Chicago for six weeks. I got like a, a furnished Airbnb or something. Spent the summer there. Never thought I was going to go back to Chicago from Los Angeles. Why would you? <laughs> Weather alone. But once I was here in Chicago, when it came time to go back to Los Angeles, I just, I started crying. I was like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I go back to Los Angeles and then I started getting this, this sort of bee in my bonnet about moving back to Chicago. I'm going to move back to Chicago. I'm going to move back to Chicago. I'm going to do it. And in January of 2013, I started coming to Chicago, started looking for apartments, ended up signing a lease that started on... March 6th uh, in Chicago and then ended up meeting my husband on match on April 7th. And that was one year after that meditation that I just told you about after reading Ariel Ford's book. And on our second date, uh, the first date, uh, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I just knew. He, I remember meeting him and uh, on the street corner, and he looked up. He was, uh, he was checking his phone or something, and I walked up, and he said, Carrie, yeah, hey. He said, it's really nice to meet you, but I kind of feel like I know you already. And just hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I was like, whoa, all this is different. And it was the first date that I'd had fun on, I enjoyed in, I don't even know, in a very, very long time. On the second date, he told me some things about his life and about his childhood experiences. And again, the hair stood up on the back of my neck because they were almost exactly what I had written in that meditation a year ago. And I, I couldn't even believe my ears. It was like, are you, and I went back to my notebook and after I, that date and I looked through and oh my gosh, like that's incredible um, that that I had gotten that information about him prior, exactly one year prior to that. Long story short, a year later on the anniversary of our first date, we were engaged and six months later we got married we had a beautiful wedding. And then two months later <laughs> we were surprised by the arrival of a little one. And, and here we are, um, in 2016, I guess, that, I guess this year would be our three year wedding anniversary, which is, is that right? 
I don't know if I'm doing the math correctly. I think two years? Anyway, uh, we got married in 2014, right? So this 2016 was two years, so 2017 will be three years. So that's kind of, those are the really the main, main books that took me from a place of distrust, of doubt, of fear, of a place of what, feeling like, you know, I don't think this is really ever going to happen for me. Um, I say, I just say three books, it's four books that really took me from that place. I can't recommend them enough for you to read. And the second, the second thing in addition to the books that I would encourage you to do is, and I'm sure I read this in one of these books and I'm just forgetting which one. So for any author, I apologize if this is yours and I'm not giving you credit, but to take the idea of, well, what if I don't get married? What if I don't find love? What if I don't have children? What does my life look like without that? And to start creating a really beautiful picture of what that life experience is going to be and, and to get excited about it. And the reason why is because then you have released the need for marriage and children. You've released the need for love. And when you release the need for that, it gets to come in. When you're hanging on really tightly, like I must have, I must have, I must have this to marriage and children, I must have love, I must have you know a partner to be okay, then that's when we're really holding ourselves up because yes, we all want that and we don't need that to be okay. What we need is to be okay inside ourselves. I think the main thing that I learned in my journey to find love was that I am the one I've been looking for. You are the one that you're looking for. You. So when you can fall in love with who you are and fall in love with what your life is and what all the possibilities that you can create in your life, then bam, you're in the vibration of love. And what comes to you? Love. So I would encourage you to, the other thing that's really important about that is that you have the freedom then to be with someone because you want to be with them, not because you need to be with them. I, you know, I, I don't know if this is fair to say of my parents' relationship because I don't, you know, I, I wasn't in their shoes. I was observing from the perspective of a child and, you know, that's not, that's not the full story. But I think one thing that was tough is that in, in my parents' relationship, I saw at that time, you know, I don't know that either one of them felt that they really had the option to leave. My mother stayed at home with us, and she was a wonderful mother in a lot of ways. Um, but she didn't make her own money, and I don't know that she felt like she could walk away if she wanted to from my father. I feel like there was... Um, they had a volatile relationship and they are actually divorced now after 43 years. And I feel like a lot of what kept them together was need and like cultural pressure, societal pressure, and just fear to be on their own. Um, my parents got, I mean, they were married at a very, very young age, but ultimately what a relationship should not be is a jail. <laughs> it shouldn't be like, uh, I'm here because I can't survive if I'm not here. Um, that was something that I learned in the rock bottom relationship as well, that one of the reasons why I was scared to leave that was 
he had a house and was I going to be able to take care of myself? And turns out, yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, there was no issue with that, but in my mind, it was a scary thing. And so there was need attached to that person. Um, but I really didn't want to be with him. So we want to look around and go, well, I want to be in a relationship because I want to be not because I have to be. Um, a partner, having a, a, a partner or having a spouse does not guarantee you happiness and fulfillment. It, it doesn't. And I think that in, in so many ways where we're, we see that in fairy tales and movies and they, you know, they got together and happily ever after. And it's not that. Life doesn't stop after once you hit the arrival point of finding a, a partner or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It still keeps moving. You still keep growing. There are still challenges. And now you're facing challenges with someone else instead of alone. In some ways, it's easier to be alone <laughs> to move through you know, challenges. But now when you're with someone, you're navigating with someone else. In a lot of ways, that's wonderful. In a lot of ways, that's challenging. So I think it's so important to understand both for ourselves and for the clients that we coach that there is so much inside that's going to help someone feel fulfilled that they are the ones that they've been looking for, that all of the emotions and the experiences that they feel like they want to have, that they feel like they need a partner for, maybe they do and maybe they don't. And to find the joy and the beauty in life alone. You know, when people uh, will say, like, oh, I'm single, I hate being single, I, I understand that. And and it can be challenging. And at the same time, if you were to look at it another way, when you're single, the world is your oyster. You don't answer to anyone ever, <laughs> except the IRS. I mean, yeah, you got to pay your taxes. And so like, but you don't, you don't answer to anyone. It's not like in a relationship you answer to people, but you're not, you don't have a responsibility is really the best way to say it to anyone else but you. And there's enormous freedom in that. There's enormous opportunity and possibility for whatever it is you'd like to create your life to be. That's, that's wonderful. And so if you're in a place where you're single and you're like, oh, I'm hating it, I'm feeling, the best thing you can do is find ways to enjoy the hell out of your life. Because that's when you also start to shine and vibrate and glow and you attract people going, oh my God, she's so happy. She loves her life. I like her. I want to be around her. If you consider that the relationship that you want is actually already happening in some time-space reality, because there is no time. Time is a construct, the metaphysical people will tell you. So there's a future version of you living that relationship already. So the present version of you can relax and go, it's happening. So what can I do to help myself be in love with myself and be in love with my life right now? It's so important for people with partners. Anyone who's been in a long-term relationship knows that a partner does not guarantee fulfillment. We have to make our own meaning. So true. So true. And as a matter of fact, what we often tend to do if we're not making our own meaning and making ourselves happy, we tend to want to blame our partner. You should be making me happy. You should be making me feel fulfilled. You should be making me feel meaning. You should, you should. When it's really an inside job. For example, with, with uh, getting pregnant with Evie, I, I didn't know that was coming. 
Um, I knew he would be a great partner if it did. But then after having the baby, serious postpartum depression, serious falling apart. Well, here we are in a position where we have to handle this together. There could be um, illnesses. There could be deaths in your family. There could be a loss of a job. There could be there. There are all kinds of challenges that come your way that you have to be able to navigate with yourself and your partner. I think this is one of two one of the ways reasons why I just can't recommend keeping the love you find enough. I can't recommend it enough because it's going to teach you so much about your patterns, what they are, why they're there, and how to start evolving beyond them so you can be an outstanding partner in good times and in bad. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you for, for being here today with me to talk about, about love. So what we're walking away with today from this is that, yes, love exists for you. That person who is yours or yours to be with is looking for you just as much as you are looking for them. And that the best thing that you can do is to educate yourself and prepare yourself for the arrival of this person. And I hope that the, the four books that I've shared with you that really made an impact on me will help you do that. Keeping the Love You Find by Harville, Harville Hendricks, The Soulmate Secret by Ariel Ford, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough by Lori Gottlieb, and Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. Um, and also to remember, always for you and for the people that you're coaching, that you are the one you've been looking for, that happiness and fulfillment is an inside job, and that that's what you get to bring to a relationship. And it's always our responsibility, whether we're with someone or not, to, be, to, to take responsibility for our level of happiness and fulfillment and do everything we can to explore who we are and become a version of ourselves that's better than it's ever been. So thank you so much, everybody, for, for being here, for watching, for, for holding, holding a light up for love today. So you choke up a little bit that, that the path for some of us is not always easy, but it is worth it. Thanks for tuning in to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast. For more information on our programs, please go to www.healthcoachinstitute.com. Comment and share if you like what you hear.